Good morning. It's good to see you and welcome to Grace. I know this is our Christmas weekend and I know we're going to have many families together, but we're glad that you were able to be here and to be a part of the service. We're going to be celebrating the light of life that Christ has come. Uh, but let me call us to worship. If you'll stand with me, all the songs are in your bulletin this morning, I believe, so you can follow along there or in a hymn book if need be, if you want the music written. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Jesus Christ is our life and light. In his name and in his power, let us worship God. Let me say Merry Christmas, and I hope you and your family have had a wonderful time celebrating that Christ has come. I won't spend all day sharing announcements, but I do have a few things we want to share, and that is next Sunday, we will be back in all of our Sunday school classes and everything happening. We've made it through the Christmas season, and some have asked about uh, the, the wretched COVID virus that has been here. I think everybody that caught it has quarantined and is back. Um, I do, we do have one family we ask for prayers, and so let's continue to pray for, I know we have one that is still uh, in quarantine a little bit for it, but it seems like it all came and, and left, and so we hope that your family is well, but please, if you need help, please let us know. We don't announce everybody's names to the congregation when we do that, but it is good for our elders to know so that we can minister to you, help your family, and help you get through it as you uh, work your way through, so please keep us informed about that as well, but next Sunday... We are back at it. I know our youth are having a New Year's Eve party, and then they'll be back on Sunday night, all of our children's ministry. Folks, if you don't know how we finished the year, let me, let me say this in a great sense. Um, we not only have done our children's uh, outreach program in the summertime, but our youth have grown to almost 20 youth at times or more when they come. We've started a children's ministry that sometimes has 15 to 20 kids already coming. This year, we're excited about the preschool ministry that we're going to be starting up. And so we're excited about a whole other aspect of ministry. So God has been blessing us, but the elders have been so faithful to the last couple of years to work through this, to keep things going, to try to keep things budgeted. I have a great announcement I want to share with you today. It's a big impact for us as we moved here. I know the church has been through circumstances in the past and people share things all the time, but folks, over the last couple of years, the Lord has truly blessed us. You've all been faithful within your budgets. You've been faithful in your ministries. You've been faithful to tithing. You've been faithful to continue giving. And through all that this past week, let me tell you something amazing. The elders were able to sit down and through the budget vote to put $250,000 down on the building payment. $250,000. Let's give the Lord a hand. So the good news is this. We're not done yet. We still have this week. So... Let's not quit yet, uh, but no, our point is this. I'm always teasing the elders. I'm always pushing them and pushing them, and the truth of it is they don't need it. They're always excited. They're, they're, you guys are in their hearts and their minds. They want what's best, but we also are going to explain some more later on as the time comes, but I, I told them in the midst of our year-end meeting, I said, guys, this isn't it. I said, what I really want you to know is I've been praying. Even before the meeting, back in October, I started praying that, Lord, we need to be debt-free in 23. And folks, what I want to honestly tell you is that's not going to be a hard feat because I think we only now owe just over a quarter of a million total on a building that was, I think, 1.6 million. Am I close to that, Mike? Is that what it was? So thank the Lord for all of you who have been faithful as the church has grown. 
The elders have been faithful. They want to be transparent and open with where the money goes. We have truly been blessed. But if you still have a year-end gift that you would like to give, it must if it doesn't come today. Folks, we close down Thursday at noon. So for those of you who, if you didn't bring a gift or you still want to bring it, it happens every year. We cannot backdate checks. That's up to you and your accounting firm. If you want us to deposit it and it to go on your giving, it must be in our office Thursday morning so that we can close everything down. So we're not asking you to do all that, but if you are, please know we are so thankful for you. The Lord has richly blessed us with all that has gone on, and so we are excited to begin this new year uh, looking forward to even more growth as we go forward. And so let's take a moment, and uh, you'll see in the bulletin there that as we go to the Lord in prayer, uh, I want you to join me in a moment. You'll see inside the bulletin the Lord's Prayer if you need it, inside, I mean, the red hymnal. But before we pray, let me just say to those of you visiting with us, we're glad you're here. Whether you're here with your family, or whether you're here for the first time, or you're just uh, returning from college, we're glad you're here. We hope not only that you have a wonderful time with your family, but that Christ will truly touch you during these weeks that you're here. But let me lead us to the throne of grace, and then if you would join me in the Lord's Prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Father, that we can celebrate not only the light that has come, but the light that has changed our lives, the light that has changed our church. Lord, it is your Son. It is you who've come to be amongst us, Lord. We just thank you for your Holy Spirit, how he has indwelt our lives, how he has changed us. Father, he's kept us faithful. And Lord, I thank you for our elders. I thank you for all of our Sunday school teachers, our ministry leaders. I thank you for those who help clean the building, for those who take care of its outside. Lord, it has been a true picture in the middle of a pandemic in which a world has been so concerned. Lord, you have used your covenant community to continue serving and glorifying you. Lord, I pray that you would get all the glory, not only for the things that we accomplish materially, but for all the spiritual work that you have accomplished in our children, in those that we've brought, in those that you've sent us. Lord, that just to see the change that the light has made gives us reason to celebrate. And Lord, we know we couldn't celebrate without being in your presence, and that's only made possible because of your son, Jesus Christ, who came and tore that veil in two so that he could have open access between us and you. That through your son, Jesus Christ, we as a body could boldly come and pray together saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we continue, I'm going to ask Chuck and Gloria Mahaffey if they'll come and prepare to help us with our candle lighting. Let me explain this morning. I've asked them to come because usually we bring up new families. We try to get those in the church to come up and do this. But this year I told Nick what I'd really like to do is just have a representative or those who have been here since the beginning. And Chuck and Gloria Mahaffey are here this morning with us. We also have Scott and Lori Van Zenten who have been here since the beginning. I know Mike and Nancy Moriarty. And we also, they're not here I don't think, but obviously Harley and Carol Smith. So we have several families and 
Phil, not sure. Oh, well, he was just little. That doesn't matter when. Uh, I'm just kidding, Phil. He's part of our family, yeah. So I haven't been here, but I've, not sure. I've asked Chuck and Gloria, and Sarah is right. Has been, yeah. Um, so we, we've asked Chuck and Gloria if they would please come and do the lighting of our candles and the Christ candle this morning in representative of those. Four weeks ago, we began our journey toward Christmas by lighting the first candle of Advent, the candle of hope. As we relight this candle of hope, may your life overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Three weeks ago, we lit the second candle of peace. As we relight the candle of peace, let us remember our need for a Savior to save us from our sins and give us peace with God. The good news that brings great joy is knowing the Messiah has been born to save us. And last week, we lit the candle of love. As we relight the candle of love, let us remember that it was God who demonstrated his love for us in giving us his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have life everlasting. Jesus Christ is the true reason for the hope, peace, joy, and love in this season and forever. This morning we light the candle, the Christ candle, to celebrate the end of Advent and the arrival of Christ and Christmas. As we light this candle, let us remember how our Savior came once as a lowly baby, that the world through him might be saved, how he will return one day again in glory. May God bless your family this Christmas season. God of love, all year long we pursue power and money, yet you come in weakness. All season long we covet great material gifts when you alone offer what is lasting. Through the work of this Lord Jesus, who comes among us full of grace and truth, forgive us, heal us, correct us. Then open our lips that we may sing your praise with the angels and remake our lives, that we may witness to your transforming love. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. And throughout scriptures, you will always find the assurance of pardon, the grace that is freely given that God has reminded us. And here this morning in Matthew, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. I hope you brought your Bibles along with you that you could follow along as we are sharing together the light of life has come. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, the first chapter where we let off, if you were here for our Christmas Eve service, where this morning I want to challenge you about the light of life. And so follow along with me in John chapter 1. It is here that John brings us much more than just an introduction. I want to say this by way as, as we get started, if you're planning on looking ahead, let me give you this. After today, when we realize the light has come, I'm going to spend between now and Easter going through the Psalms of Ascent. If you have never been through the Psalms of Ascent, they're the Psalms that were sung by the Israelites as they journeyed to Jerusalem in faithful obedience to the feasts and festivals that were celebrated. It was on that journey that they would sing these songs about all the things they would face on the road to discipleship. And so for the next 
16 or 14 weeks as we go through them. We'll try to get it condensed to get there before Easter. We're going to be talking about living faithfully in a new direction and what it really means now that we have the light of life to celebrate faithfully and obediently following Jesus Christ. The Psalms of Ascent have characteristics in each and every one of them that challenge us in our daily life with Christ. And so I encourage you to come along for the next several weeks and journey with us on the road to obedience in faithfully following Christ. But it begins here, understanding you can't follow Christ if you don't have Christ. You can't serve Christ if you don't know Christ. If you don't understand the light of the world, you'll continue to live in darkness. And so John writes us in the very first chapter, please listen, of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jump down to verse 9. We're not speaking about John the Baptist in these verses. We're speaking and focusing on the light. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It was this word that became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me take you on a journey, if I can, and explain this morning this light of life. Three things I'm going to give you with more detail is one, first of all, that the light is revealed. John writes us for the main purpose, as he tells us even later about believing, that the light has been revealed. We know the true light. Second of all, the light has been rejected. The worst part of having light is not knowing that there's light or using the light or rejecting the light that is offered. And finally, we're going to look at the light being received with some other things. And so let me begin. First and foremost, in the beginning was this word, the light revealed to us. Let's talk about what it is when we speak about God and his glory or even the dignity of Christ. And so as we begin to look at this, it's important for us to understand the spiritual life-giving light that has now come to a darkened world. And you might say, well, everybody understands that Jesus is the light. But listen to what he's telling us about full of the glory of Christ if we would just understand and see it in its fullness. Let me ask you this morning, just how much would your life change if you truly saw the full glory of Christ? How much would your life be different if it was Jesus sitting next to you? How much would your life change if you realized the one who made the heavens and the earth? The one who many people use his stars for their astrologies and their alignments. For the ones who use his creative rocks and stones and gems. For the ones who try to align their lives with the rivers and the alignments of flow. What we don't realize is that we saw the full glory. It's not all these things that he created that makes the difference. 
It's when we come into contact and relationship with the Creator. John writes and he says, let me reveal to you the importance, because we need a bigger vision. Listen to what he says. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God. It was when the Word became flesh in verse 14. You can circle in your Bible and write it down. The actual word there is tabernacled. It's an amazing relationship with the Old Testament because when the Word tabernacled with us, He made His tent among us no different than in the Old Testament when it was in the tabernacle, the heavenly sanctuary in which God would come down and reveal Himself in who He was. Just as in the Old Testament, He tabernacled with us, so in Christ, He tabernacles with us to enlighten the darkness of our lives. It's an easy way to remember just what is important about this word. If you look at John 1.3, it's all things were made through him. If you look at Hebrews 1.3, it's that he sustains all things. It's easy to put the two together and to mark them in your Bible because what's the big deal about the light of life that Jesus has come? It's not that he's just the creator and has made everything. Folks, catch this. He sustains it all. Your life in the hands of the one who created everything, he chooses to hold you above everything else. It's when the light has come that we now get a picture and a revelation of what truly is happening in our lives. If we would just have a great enough vision to see what it was and what it is that we're to understand. Do you remember when Moses ascended to the mountain and he came back down? Only seeing the glimpse of the hindsight of God was enough to change him so that people couldn't even look at him. You see, they couldn't look at Moses because of what was shining. The problem in our day in darkness is we can't look at people not because of what shines, but because of the shame. You see, what changes your life is that you're living in darkness and don't even realize it. The many people who were waiting for a Messiah, living in a world in which they thought had already been changed, in which they were creating it and making it what they want it to be. Today, we have many religions that are believing in a utopian society. And what that means is we're creating a world to be what we want it to be. It's in working together and accepting everyone and loving everyone that we begin to experience the real society that God wants. Oh, folks, don't be led astray. Living in darkness causes us to do all kinds of things. But now that the light has been revealed, your life can be changed. You can be affected by this light. Look at verse 5 when he says it's the light that shines. It's in its present indicative case. It's an ongoing, active thing. It's not that the light shined. It's not that the light will shine. It's the light shines. It's in its continual activity that John wants us to know that the light will never be overcome. That's why we read it, that in him was the light of life. It shines, and the darkness has not overcome it. Based on what translation you're reading, you have all kinds of words that have been used. It's the word that, is not, that people will not overcome it, that people will not exhaust it, people will not extinguish it. It's because it's been translated to cover those terms, because in the Greek, that's what it is. It's this understanding that the light shines and it will never be overcome. It will never be put out. It will never be extinguished, though the world has tried. It never stops reaching, folks, the crevices of your heart. The darkness that is in your life, the bitterness, the anguish, the frustration, 
the reminder of all your failures, the times you could take back, the places you hide so no one can find you. You see, when the light of life comes, it's a constant light. It never stops. Oh, I remember one time when I first went to college living in a suite we had, not dorm rooms on a hall, there was a suite and we had four rooms in our own bathrooms, and I was in the little room in the front by myself. I was blessed, and everybody else was sharing rooms. But man, they would stay. And I remember the first time I went to college and started sleeping in this room. And I know it sounds crazy, but I thought, man, I shut my blinds to the atrium because we were closed in. And then I started putting towels at the bottom of my doors, not for sound, because the light would come in. And every time someone would open the sweet door and the security light would shine on, I thought, I'm never going to be able to sleep. This light never stops. And I remember Jack Hamilton Wilson, one of my friends. He was a, we called him loggers. He was from the Rift Valley Academy, one of the missionary kids. He said, I don't know how to fix that light. I said, Jack, because you know how college kids are. We could have remodeled that whole place. It would have been black forever. But I remember thinking, no. But folks, that's the kind of image I have is you see the light is always there. Christ is not just there when you need him. He's not just there to turn him on. He's constantly shining on your heart. He's constantly looking for the crevice. He's looking for the opening. He's looking for the weak spot because he's never going to give up. We call it an irresistible grace. Do you see, when God's come to get you and the Holy Spirit's there to convict, your life is being penetrated by a love that you can't fathom. And the Bible simply says it in John's word, it shines to the darkness of your life. I'm not sure what the darkness is for you this morning. I'm not sure what it is that's leaving you lonely, scared, or afraid. But I can tell you, it's only dark because you've kept it out. It's only dark because you've kept it out. Because the light shines, and when the Holy Spirit convicts, your life won't change until the light comes in and makes a difference. Oh, John writes us quickly when he says, before Christ, the world did not even know God, folks. There was no hope. We were all lost in a distinction of trying to find our ways between good and evil. We had a law that brought us a little bit of light. It showed us what darkness was, the law that was given to us by God. But now we have an ever more clear picture of what a true distinction between right and wrong, good and evil, light and dark. We have that in Jesus Christ. And so this morning I challenge you, all things were made through him. Nothing exists without him. Your hope, your peace, your joy and love does not exist without him. You have a worldly understanding without the light of Christ. And so John writes to tell us, in this darkness we compare ourselves with each other. He came to a world that would not understand him and did not want him. You see, living in darkness, you don't even realize it, but you compare your lives to others. You live your entire life trying to be what other people want you to be, what they think your family should look like, what they think you should accomplish over time, what goals that you should achieve, and what your career ought to end and look like, what retirement ought to be, and it's always compared to others. And we don't even realize that that's living in darkness. It's not until the light of life that comes into your life that you realize I'm not compared to someone else. My life is not to be considered successful or not based on someone else. 
my life should be determined in the righteousness of Christ, in the light that has changed me and created me and remade me just like he did the world. Verse 9 tells us, listen to it this way, the true light, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Circle that word true. It's aletheos. It's the Greek word aletheia for the word true. It may not mean a lot to you because you just think of it as the light. Well, we have all these other lights. It is correct in saying that John was a light. You could say that the prophets were lights. That's true. The revelation of scripture gives us light. But he uses the word aletheos for the word that is true and opposed to being partial. When someone gives you the truth, you want the whole truth and nothing what? But the truth, the word there, alethanos, is a used a word of true or correct in measurement, of getting a true reading. Now, I don't know how many of you like to build or tinker with things and know what a, a measuring stick is, to know what a tape measure or a ruler is. Or for those of you ladies who love sewing and knitting and measuring or you like making clothes, let me give you a quick example of what John is saying about Jesus Christ. Grasp this, please. He is the true light He's not the partial measurement. So if you're making dresses, ladies, for your children, and you ask your husband, well, how, how long does it need to be? And he stretches the ruler from top to bottom and goes, about 27 inches. That's not a true measurement. Ladies, how many of you would like to make dresses on roundabout figures of how tall your kids are? How would you like to wear dresses based on roundabout figures of your waist? Yeah, we could keep going. You see, a true measurement would be no different than on the day they were completing a sanctuary for us in North Carolina. We had moved back to an old established, a place where Wake Forest was actually there, a place called Cartledge Creek. And we had expanded and grown, and the church needed to build a new sanctuary, and we had expanded it and built on, and we had it all done except the siding and the finish work. And I remember one of his names was Toby. I don't remember the other one, but I remember them yelling from the sides of the scaffolding down to the floor these measurements. It were things like this, 15 and 3, 27 and 2, 18 and 6. I'm making these numbers up, folks. I didn't remember exactly. But it was always this third number. And I, I know how to read a measuring rod, and I would think to myself, well, what is he calling out? So I walked up to Toby, the one that was down on the bottom doing the cutting. I said, Toby, what's he doing? He said, what do you mean? He said, what's he yelling to you? Obviously, you're measuring something. He said, he's giving me true measurements. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, the first number is the inches. The second number is the 16th of an inch. So when he said 15 and 5... He was cutting 15 and 5 sixteenths. 18 and 7, it was 18 and 7 sixteenths. Folks, do you realize the precision of that? That's why the church looked beautiful. That's why it was finished out nice. Because they didn't finish the product with partial measurements. And I'm asking you this morning, do you have the true light? Or are you a partial measured Christian? Well, I go to church. I mean, I've read my Bible some. Yeah, I've been good to people. I help serve in the food kitchen, and we've helped clothe a lot of... We've even bought Christmas gifts for others. We've taught a Sunday school class, and I was even nominated to be a deacon in the church one time. I led the ladies' programs. Those are partial measurements. They're not a true reflection of what your life needs with Jesus Christ. What John writes is he says, the light has been revealed. 
God in his glory is now here, and the dignity of Christ is the comparison. Let me ask you quickly, has the light been revealed to you? Or are you full of darkness? See, it's not only that the light is revealed, he also says it's the light that gets rejected. This is where it picks up. Isn't this amazing that the true light that gives light to everyone was in the world? And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world, what? Did not know him. Now, there's reasons for this. They could not understand him. They could not know what was coming. They didn't want him. There's many of the things that take place, but what we realize is the darkness has not understood it. That's the word in verse 5. We go back up to it. It did not overcome it. It's translated, did not understand it, could not extinguish it. See, the problem is that you can't do it on your own. The light is rejected because of the darkness of your life. I'll tell you why you don't recognize Christ. I'll tell you why you don't understand Christ. I'll tell you why it doesn't make sense to you. Because how can a lost person make sense of the spiritual? How can the unspiritual grasp the spiritual? How can the unsaved understand what is saved? That's what we get throughout scriptures. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. There's all kinds of passages of scripture that remind us of the importance of what Christ has done in our lives. 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are what? Perishing. That's why it doesn't make sense to you. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You're here this morning and you may say to yourself, I just don't understand. It's maybe because you've tried to understand him in worldly ways and in worldly terms, in a worldly comprehension, and it does not work. If you want to understand this word that has been made flesh, it comes to the submission of your life and repentance. It comes to opening up your hearts and saying, yes, I acknowledge who Christ is. I acknowledge who the Lord is. I acknowledge who the creator is. Come into my life, change me, rearrange me. Let me be a light to the world. Because not only has the light been revealed, the sad part of it is it has been rejected. Christy asked me what I was going to title the sermon this past week. I said, Christmas, the good, the bad, and I left it alone. I was going to let her fill that in to see what she put. No, I didn't call it that because I didn't want you to think it was all bad. But folks, that's the sad part of Christmas. It does entail the good and the bad. Because Christmas is the celebration of the light of life, the purpose that you have, the future that you've been given, the eternity that has been prepared for you. It is all about this life that has changed you, but it is so bad for those who don't understand what's being celebrated. I'm so happy you had gifts. They won't be there in heaven. Careful. I'm so thankful for your children. I hope they'll be there in heaven. That's the difference in celebrating Christmas. Has the light of life touched you? Has it touched your children? Has he changed them? That's what Christmas is about. Unless the light has been rejected. For the world wants to pounce on Christ. They want to put the light out. That's why it says the true light shines. It continually shines. Listen to what the world has done, folks. The world doesn't want the light. 
The world wants to live in darkness. The world wants to enjoy what they're doing. They want their sins. They want their friends. They want their activities. We don't want light to change us. We'd rather live in the darkness where nobody knows what we're doing. I was reading a book by Ken Ham about the lost relationships of those that have gone to college. For all of us who've been in college, we know that's the time that when the cat's away, the mice what? No, yeah, you all know exactly what they do, huh? No, but it's the opportunity in which people begin to explore and to try and they find new things and go their own way. But what we don't realize is he writes, the hardest part of it is it's the lost journey of those that begin seeking outside the things they already know. Your children go to college, they find themselves in a world that wants to pounce on the light. First things they're told, yeah, we're going to change some things your parents taught you. Sad part of it is that's at the Christian colleges in our nation. See, the world wants to pounce on Christ. They want to put the light out. They don't want the difference. We saw it in his activity. We saw the people that ran from him, the demons that were scattered from him, the people that didn't want to listen to him, the Pharisees that rejected him. Let's look at two simple cases in which you could say, folks, when he was born, the innkeeper didn't even want him. And when he was ready to change the world, King Herod said, I want nothing to do with him. We live in a world that doesn't want Christmas. We live in a world that wants their darkness. They want to live their life the way they want it to be. And then they want to call themselves Christians. Followers of Christ. When the light hasn't even shown in their hearts. He came to a world that says that was his own and they didn't even know him. Oh, I won't belabor the point. I don't know the movie well. I would lie to you if I tried to get into the details. But I remember watching one episode of a new series that came out. You might know it better than I. It was called Undercover Boss. I guess you know it. It was the whole series of movies in which they took these main CEOs and owners of corporations and put them down on the work floor with those who were doing the real work. And they would get a first-hand glimpse of how they had been treating their employees. They would find out how many of them had lied, how many of them had cheated, how many were stealing from the company. But they would also find the ones that were working the extra hours, not getting paid. They were putting in the honesty. And they didn't know that it was the CEO working amongst them. Folks, sometimes I think of this passage when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we had the glory of the only begotten God. And we don't even know it. We wouldn't even know if it was him beside us. Working along with us at the food kitchen or the food banks or the clothing shelters or the Sunday school classes. I just wonder how many times in the word has been made flesh that God in his form of angels amongst us would send people down and we wouldn't even recognize the work of God. Jesus came to his own and they rejected him. If you want to know the truth of the story, you go to Matthew 21. It's called the parable of the tenants in which the landowner rents out his field and then he sends his workers to gather the riches and they killed the workers. And then he says, I'll send my very own son. Surely they'll listen to him. 
And do you remember what they did? They even knew it. They said, the owner has sent his own son. Let's kill him so we can have the inheritance. Oh, don't claim this morning that I don't know Christ because I don't recognize him. Let's be honest. In the depravity of man, we realize that we reject him even knowing who he is. Oh, I have shared so many times the faults of my life. They are so many. And I remember sharing with our Sunday school class and others with elders, I only wish the sins of your pastor were the sins that I didn't know Jesus Christ when they happened. But oh, the problem even with your pastor is that many of my sins occurred in my life knowing Jesus Christ, knowing I shouldn't have done them, and I rejected and shut out the light. Oh, the light has been revealed. Yes, we have seen God in his glory and the dignity of Christ, but yet now we see the light being rejected. We see the depravity of man, and we see this mankind and their guilt, if you wish, you can try to hide the light, folks. You can try to extinguish it. You can try to put it out. But I'm telling you, the scripture says this, the light shines. The light shines. It will never stop shining. It will never stop reaching to your heart. It will never stop accomplishing what God has planned. And no matter who wants to put it out, who wants to chase it down, and no matter who wants to turn away from it, it will accomplish what it wants in your life. That's why people run. You may say to yourself this morning, well, I really think God's wanting me to go somewhere else. I think God wants me to try a new job. I, I think he wants me in a new career field. You see, we use that as God leading us. But let me tell you the truth. When you're living in darkness, it's because God's getting close and the light's beginning to shine. And you know what you're doing? You're running. You're simply running because God's beginning to shine in the crevices of your heart. And he's starting to change you. He's starting to remake you. And that's why we don't need to go to service. That's why we don't really need church. We know what we're supposed to do. And the new young society says it all. They're not trying to serve Christ. They're running from Christ. It's veiled to those who are perishing. We're even told that they can't understand it without the work of God. So I'm challenging you this morning. The light has been revealed. Yes, the light has been rejected. But you know the wonders of Christmas is that the light has been received. And that the work of God has shown forth. And his purpose and his greatness has been accomplished. My prayer for you this Christmas is just that. That now that the light has been revealed, maybe for the first time, or maybe at an understanding at a level you now know, is that the light must shine in order for you to experience the abundant life. The light must shine into the crevices of the darkness of your life for you to find forgiveness. The light must shine in order to strengthen you, to give you the power to be the overcomer. It is the light that changes you, not your own efforts, not your own abilities. He was in the world. They didn't know him. He came to his own. They didn't receive him. But listen, but to those who did receive him, the power of the gospel, the perseverance of the saints, the irresistibleness of the grace, this atonement for the ones that he has chosen before the foundations of the world. 
based on his love and the light that comes not on your works to overcome the depravity of man. Do you not see the theology all in one section? When Christ comes to a world, he lays out the plan of salvation and simply says, but you can receive him. Today is the day that you can receive him. By believing in Jesus Christ, receiving him as our own. You see, when he pries his way into the hostile hearts of men, we understand not only the greatness of the light, but the greatness of his love. Isn't it amazing in 1 John, we're told, he writes the same letters at the end of his journey instead of the front when he says, isn't it amazing that we can be called the children of God? That I, the one who lied, cheated, the one who distorted the truth, the one who ran and mocked, the one who ridiculed this life, the one who doesn't see the need for it, the one who thinks he can do it on his own, that he would choose me to be a child of God. Oh, my soccer coach used to say it in the middle of our losing. He would begin to yell out at the coach, a Christian coach. His name's Gustafson. He used to yell things like this, unbelievable. We would make a play and it didn't work, and that's what he would do, unbelievable. Never heard him say a swear word in my life, career there. Oh, that's unfathomable. Just kidding. It. That's unbelievable. Oh, this is immeasurable. He would, that was his way of kind of like, taunting us, yet criticizing us, yet encouraging us to get going. He would come up with these amazing words. Didn't realize the theology he was teaching us. To be a child of God, how just immeasurable it is. How unbelievable that he would choose me. Unfathomable that my sins could be taken away. It's amazing, John writes, that for those of us who believe, that the eternal creator became one of us, that he took our sins and paid the price, that he was resurrected and raised to the right hand for me so that he could send the Holy Spirit to me so that my heart could be changed, that it could be lit, that I could experience the light of life. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to be lonely. You don't have to be insecure. Folks, you don't have to live a life that's unstable and unaware in other words, you don't have to live a life of darkness, confusion, frustration, suppression. Folks, all these words that everybody uses in a life to try to help you overcome, they're all changed in the light of life. It's the solution. It's the answer. He's the way. Oh, he would write us later and say this, I am the way, the truth, and the what? And the life. There is no other way but then to receive it, to be able to have this light of life for us. It has been revealed to us in nature. It has been revealed to us in our consciences. It's even been revealed to us in Scripture. But Christmas, it's when the truth has been revealed to us in person. When we can behold the glory of God. That we can see the dignity of Christ, not the depravity of man, not all of our guilt, but listen to this, our dependence on the new birth. Do you see, listen to what he says. You might say to me, but yeah, this light of life, how do I receive it, Pastor Jerry? I don't get it. I go to church. I'm in a Christian family. I, I have Christian parents. I've grown up. We all know that doesn't work. 
We all know as Christian parents and grandparents that just because we're Christian doesn't mean our children will be and our grandchildren will be. The light of life works. He works in his own time. He's constantly pressuring for his children, calling them to himself. But listen to this. It's amazing when he says this. But to all who did receive him, his blessed believed in his name, he gave the right to become children. Now listen, how does this happen? They were not born of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. You don't get it genealogically. I'm glad we have five generations Christians, but don't you take the credit for that. I'm glad your children and grandchildren have been successful. Don't you dare take the glory of God for that. Don't you diminish the dignity of Christ and overcome the depravity of yourself because their salvation was not yours. Their salvation was the light of life that you showed them as John the Baptist comes proclaiming. But yes, it is not of genealogy. It is not of your desires. You don't just wake up one day in the will of the flesh and say, I'm ready to be different. I'm ready to give my life. It doesn't happen that way. The darkness never comes to the light. And it's not from the will of man. There's no sheer determination to getting saved. There's sheer determination after you're saved. We call it discipleship. It's the determination in the Psalms of Ascent. It's the determination of obedience. It's the determination of being faithful. It's running the race with endurance. Determination is after the fact. But you cannot be saved by the will of man. You can't simply say, I'm going to church until I'm saved. I'm reading until I'm saved. I'm going to serve until I'm saved. The only way it happens is by God. By the light of life in you. How do we summarize this place that we need? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 simply says this, you are a chosen race. For those who believe in Christ, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now here's why, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Have you believed in him? Have you responded to the light? Or have you shunned it? You see, I can't do the whole story today, but let me close by saying this. There's a difference in a response. John chapter 3 is about Nicodemus. John chapter 4 is about a Samaritan woman. Two exact cases that John writes side by side with a different response. Listen how the light works. In John chapter 3, we have a man. His name is Nicodemus. This man is seeking Christ. In John chapter 4, we have a woman at the well who was sought by Christ. In John chapter 3, we have a man seeking Christ who was a Jew. In chapter 4, we have a woman who was sought by Christ and was a Samaritan. In chapter 3, we have this man, Nicodemus, who was seeking Christ, a Jew, and he was talking to Jesus, coming for answers. 
In chapter 4, we have a woman who was sought by Christ, who was not seeking Jesus, was a Samaritan, a harlot, not a Pharisee, and was seeking to hide from Christ. One talked to Jesus, one avoided Jesus. Nicodemus came at midnight, the Samaritan woman came at noon. Both heard the gospel presentation, yet one leaves and never gives a verbal response. We never know what Nicodemus says, where he goes, if he accepts, if he believes. But we have a woman, a Samaritan at the well, who runs back, leaves her water part, and says to those in the community, look who I found. Is this the Christ? Is this the Messiah? Come and see what he's done for me. And we're told many people believed because of her light. Oh, I ask you this morning, do you realize John is saying the light is revealed? And even though the light has been revealed, there are those that will not receive him. They will reject him. But this morning, it is the Christ, the light of life, that you can receive. That you can know this is the Messiah. This is the one who has changed my life. Come and see him. For Christ gave you a light to be a light. Oh, as we learn in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the what? World. I'll tell you why the light continually shines. It's because every time Christ changes the hearts of one of his children, you become another light, you become an extension, and you become the witness to the rest of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Father, thank you that you have revealed the light to us, that we are without excuse, that the hardness of our hearts and the darkness that we choose to live in is the only reason we reject you. As the innkeeper shunned you, as Herod turned from you, as your own children rejected you. Father, this morning, touch our hearts that we would receive you. Let us see your dignity in Christ. Let us see your glory of the Godhead. Let it change us so that the light touches our hearts, comes into the crevices of our lives, and where we're seeking to find solutions in all the things that you've created. Father, bring us to our knees at the throne of grace to meet the Creator, for you are the one that changes us. Father, we want to give you the praise and you the glory. Father, help us not to wander like Nicodemus, wondering what should happen. Let us, like the woman at the well, be changed and to begin to bring people to you so that you will get the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I give you a benediction, let me remind you, next week we begin a journey of the Psalms of Ascent, and next week we'll be on repentance to faithfully follow Christ we must begin with repentance. If you had received the benediction, Paul simply said, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And God's children said, amen. amen. Have a merry, merry Christmas week.